0: scriptures, Ephesians five eleven through 20. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise,
1: Thanks, Kelly. And thank you, church, for um, appreciating us. <laughs> we appreciate you so much. We're honored to walk with you, and <clears throat> God has knit us together. The Holy Spirit has brought us together, uh, for better or for worse, mostly better, as I hope. Thank you for appreciating me before I preach. Uh, you you know, some nights you may not appreciate me after the sermon, but uh, we're so grateful. Man, I just love this church so much. I'm so grateful for um. just how God has knit us together, how he's brought us here, and he's written this story so far, and he continues to write it. I just love you all. I'm so grateful to uh, journey with you. So uh, thank you for that. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up some verses that we left off last week, and um, we're going to, but that's okay because it fits into a Um, the next section we were going to look at tonight anyway. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, as we just read, in verses 11 to 20. So while you're getting there, uh, I'll also tell you that we're almost done with Ephesians. Um, We're going to wrap up Ephesians before Advent. So uh, we'll preach next week on um, marriage in Christ. And then um, Judy Shaw will be here to uh, speak and share about the community garden kitchen, for which our craft fair will benefit. And then that following week will be Halloween, and uh, we're going to be here, but we're going to be in the parking lot, joining with Freeman and several hundred of our new neighbors here in this place. So uh, after that, we'll do a few more um, passages in Ephesians, and then uh, Advent will begin at the end of November. And for us, for the church, Advent is the new year, so... It didn't feel like fall for very long. We're already steaming toward the end of the year and the new Christian year. So uh, rounding down this place in Ephesians. So I want to ask you, how many of you folk have job descriptions at your respective places of employment? Yes, job descriptions? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I had a job description. I've had a few of those in my time. And I got to thinking about job descriptions, and I wondered, how many of you remember the last time you looked at said job description? Do you actually remember the last time you looked at it? Yes? Toby the overachiever is shaking her head. Yes. That's why she's Richardson Teacher of the Year last year. Hooray. Hurrah. She knows. Oh, yes. Yes. Let's appreciate Toby. Ooh, looking at her job description. (laughs) Oh, I'm joking. The point I was trying to make (laughs) is that you don't often look at your job description, do you? Really, I could only think of the times where you would look at your job descriptions, or the times that I would look at my job description are typically when you're being hired, right? You're being hired, you're brought in, and they're saying, Hi, you applied for this position. Here is this position. And so there's this position, there's this vocation, there's this job, and then there's all the expectations of that job and that life. So you usually see that when you're hired. It's kind of, hey, this is what you're signing up for, yes? Another time you would see it, I imagine, is a quarterly or an annual type of performance review. How many of you have sat through the performance reviews, yes? Even in ministry, um, nobody reviews me at this church, which is why you're still appreciating me. I'm I'm just kidding. I get reviewed every single week when we meet with you all and with Bud. But uh, the church I came from, we had annual reviews and they pulled out the job description. They said, hey, you know, how are you functioning within your role, within your vocation? And, And how are you lining up with the expectations? A third time I think you see your job description would be when you are not lining up with your expectations. That's when you're called to the old principal's office, except the principal's not a principal. Maybe he's your boss and has... Quite a bit of authority, more than just sending you to detention. He could send you to the unemployment office. And so this is a time where it could be really tough. And you're looking at these expectations in a light that is pretty, I guess, uh, let's just say drastic or bleak. And you're looking at them now, not with the anticipation or expectation when maybe you were first hired. But now you're looking and saying, ooh, yeah, these expectations can be daunting. When I think about a job expectation, when I think about our life in Christ, I see that the first half of Ephesians has been this vision describing our position. And our position is one who is in Christ. Okay? So here's the trick. Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians saying, guess what? If you are in Christ, if this is your position, you've got the job, you're hired. And we've talked about that as the big, sweeping, beautiful ski lift view. And in the last three chapters, we talk about a lot of the do's and don'ts. It's kind of the expectations that fill out that life in Christ position. And so Paul is writing this letter. And we encounter all of these expectations, as you would in a job description, that says, hey, if you are hired, if you're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you have a new job a new role, a new vocation. And so we come smack dab to the middle of the job description section of Ephesians and it's as if he's telling these new Christians coming from a culture that is not one that honors the Lord with practices that do not honor God's way and they're hired out of darkness into light like we looked at last week and he says, here are the expectations for life in Christ. But even when you're hired, you must remember this. We hired you and you have this position. You already have the job. I am letting you see the foundation for what that life, when you live it, looks like. When you get offered the job, have you performed any of those job description expectations yet? If you step in and you have this new position... Say you're a teacher, and you get hired and shake the hand, and you're expected to teach the students in Garland High School. Have you ever taught the students in Garland High School? Or if you're in a business, have you ever promoted so much synergy and strong communication skills with team orientation that results in the bottom line or whatever business stuff you talk about? Have you? Look, man, I work from home, and I've been in ministry my whole adult life. What do I know about cubicles and synergy? You've already been hired. The do's and don'ts in job or in life in Christ are the expectations that are reminders of who you already are. Paul knows we've been hired. He wants to remind us. Really, tonight we're going to see he wants to keep us awake to our new job, our new life in Christ. And if you have a new life, you don't need to go back to the old one. But the problem is the old one continually creeps back into our life. Stay awake. This is your life. This is your vocation. You are one in whom the Lord of the universe dwells. You are one now living under the rain, not of darkness, but living under the reign of light and life. And these are do's and don'ts that are not checked off to be in Christ. They are checked off, watch, because you're in Christ. Because you're in Christ. You can love sacrificially. Because you're in Christ, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and live a life of gratitude as we'll see tonight. Because you're in Christ, you can put off the former ways of sexual immorality that once dominated your life. Now you're in Christ. You don't have to do the old job. You're in Christ. You can put off obscene talk and filthy talk and you can give talk that builds up people, that is a light in the darkest places. You can live in such a way where you're speaking truth to people in love. You're in Christ, and He's called you to this position. He's hired you, and He gives you the strength to do it. We don't need new laws. We don't need new do's and don'ts. We don't need a new job description. We need to wake up and live intentionally in the life that we've already been given. We've actually got to wake up and now live it. So that's what we're looking at. And the central wake-up call that Paul gives us is found in verse 14. We'll start there and then we'll zero out and look at how that fits with this whole idea of waking up and living intentionally in Christ. He says a song of his day. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Remember, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Don't put the cart before the horse and start doing all the do's and don'ts. That's the Christianity the world sees, and it's lifeless. Rather, begin with who you are in Christ. Wake up, He'll shine on you. He will propel you to live the Christian life, the abundant life you've been called to. He's going to remind us. So, we're right in the smack dab of those reminders. And let's look then, with that first admonition or exhortation, to wake up. Okay, And he's going to start, this is kind of in the middle of the thought, this is kind of where we ended last week. But journey with me here, let's look back at verse 11. Remember he's saying, if you're in this job, put off the old job. Don't go back and work nights, you're working days with Christ. And so he's going to say this, he had told them already, hey, don't do these things Don't live as darkness because you're light now. Now he's going to take it a step further and say this. Earlier he said don't partner with them in verse 7. Now he's going to say don't participate with them. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Deeds of darkness. Well, what are the deeds of light? We talked about that last week. That's in verse 9. There are fruit In your new job of goodness, righteousness, truth. So he says, now have nothing to do, in verse 11, with the fruitless deeds of darkness. So he's going to say, basically, separate. Your mom told you, you are who you hang out with. You are who you hang out with, right? He's going to tell us first to separate. Is he going to tell us separate from the people? Or separate from the deeds? The text, what does it say? Have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Oh, wait a minute. Mama said you are who you hang out with, so you shouldn't hang out with them either. And Paul just said, Adam, don't be partners with them. What he's saying here is do not be so grafted to them. Do not be business partners with them, participating in their works and their deeds in lockstep. This is something that has been true of God's people, however they've been hired To not participate with those who are participating in works of darkness. So let me say this again because I said it last week. Yes, you should be friends with people who are not light. Why? Because where is light needed most? But in the darkness. Your mom may have said you are who you hang out with. Don't go hanging out with them scoundrels. But Jesus, who fully revealed God, who is holy, righteous, and good, and light, is revealed in Jesus, who was called by others, and moms included. He was called by others a friend of sinners. Look what these people said about Jesus, our Lord, in Matthew chapter 11. He was hanging out with all the wrong people. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. This is Jesus saying this. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. He's hanging out with gluttons and drunkards. Jesus was spotted so often as the light of the world in banquets which looked like darkness, where people are eating and having their fill while people go hungry, while people are eating and having their fill just because they can, just because they want to satisfy the needs of the body. And they're also drunk. Jesus is at the kinds of parties we tell our high school students not to be at. Now, Jesus was of legal drinking age, students. And Jesus was there to actually be a light. And so he was with these people. And he said he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Paul will say in a moment, people who live as light... Yes, don't partner with them. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds. But wisdom is proved right when your life is shining even in the darkness. Should we hang out with people who are dark? Yes. Should we partner with them? Be partying along with them? No. Should we have anything to do with the deeds that come from those kinds of parties? No. But should we be present and have relationships with people who are not Christians? Yes. Because how else will they see the light? Which is the second thing that is said of, uh, of, uh, in this as we relate to those who are dark, even as people as life. He says these people, in verse 12, it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Don't do this stuff in secret. But when you're living and and walking with them, not partnering or participating with them, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Live your life in such a way as Jesus did that calls them to a new standard and a new light. He says not just separate, but expose these fruitless deeds. So separation is non-participation. But light transforms the darkness. Everything exposed by light becomes visible. There's this revelation that perhaps when Jesus was calling Zacchaeus down from the tree, something penetrated his heart so deep from a man who had no friends, from a man who had no way that honored the Lord because he was continually thieving, he was continually aligning with an empire that that was uh, condemning this way. But Zacchaeus, a thief, a tax collector, because he was exposed to the light, he saw how shameful his ways were. And the exposing that we're talking about when we follow Jesus who is a friend of sinners is one that is watch restorative, not punitive. So the trick with this verse, if we're following Jesus who's a friend of sinners, but we're not partnering or participating with the sinner's ways, are we talking about people within the church? Or are we talking about people outside of the church? What darkness is it we're exposing? I think the answer is yes. But I think regardless of how we do that, we do that the Jesus way, in a way that is restorative, in which the light exposes the sham of darkness, and they revealed the end game, and were invited to life in Christ. So the expectation here is that we are friends of sinners, just like Jesus was. But when we're living as light, it's exposing to the world around us the new and better way that Jesus invites us to. Because the woman who is caught in adultery, that way, in that system, in that day, was going to lead to her being stoned to death and killed. And Jesus came and pursued her, looked her in the eye, just like Zacchaeus, and said, there's a better way. But you know what he did first? He didn't shame her. He looked at her in the eye and he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And he looked at her in the eye. One who is about to reap the rewards of a life of things done in secret. And Jesus looks her in the eye. Jesus, who had grown up in a religious system that saw these kinds of sexual sins punished by death. Jesus grew up in a cultural system in which the men had all the power because you know what happens when you have sex with someone else? There's a someone else. And he wasn't naked and drug out in the crowd about to get stoned, was he? But this woman was. So Jesus had every social and religious way to expose her. Jesus had every right in that system to grab a rock and make some kind of point about the religious and social mores of the day. But what he did instead was he made a point about the kingdom of God who has come to shine light into darkness. And I see a Jesus who leads with embrace, not with his theology. Because first he looked at her and he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And then he says, Go and sin no more. The light exposed the sham of the life that was leading to death and destruction. But he first had to look her in the face as an image and child of God. Then he said there's a better way. So when we're exposing, if this text is talking about exposing those fruitless deeds of darkness that are done in secret and done outside of this community, you lead with your embrace, not your theology. You guys know where I stand on homosexuality. I don't think it's God's ideal. I think it's a multi-layered issue. I think that people can be born that way. I think that because people are born in ways that aren't God's ideal. But people are also born firstly as a child and image of God. What Bud and I were talking about at a conference this last Monday about sexuality was Genesis 1 created male and female in the image of God, loved by God, comes before Genesis 3, which is the fall and sin marring that image. We should be people who lead with embrace and be okay with a church that has Jesus and His light and His gospel and His reign firmly in the center. But we recognize that we are all gay, straight, drunk, angry, sex-sick, heterosexuals or otherwise, We are all journeying toward Jesus together. And we're all called to live in such a way where we're embracing and welcoming others to the table. And so we follow Jesus' example to even expose the light in a restorative way, or expose, rather, the darkness in a restorative way, because it's our kindness, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance and redemption. Also, I think you could make a strong case that this is to expose the darkness within the community. His whole chapter in reminding us of our expectations as people who are in Christ in community, his whole expectation is that we would root sin and nip sin in the bud in our community because sin brings life and destruction, not just out there, but also in here. We have a job as people living under the reign of Christ. Abundant life. But the life of death and sin still wants to creep back into our lives every single day. And it wants to creep into our community every single day. So we're not just to separate and not participate. But we're also to expose this when it happens and say there's a better way, there's life in light to be had. And we do so by speaking the truth in love. And we do so understanding that when you are light, living as light, the darkest places need light. And proximity to these people does not mean permission for their fruitless deeds of darkness. Are we good on that so far so good? Again, this is not something to go and do. This is something to continue to live and to wake up and realize that this is your life in Christ. And we lead with embrace, not with our theology, not with our proof text, because embrace is theology. That's a phrase Bud and I heard on Monday. It's not mine. But it's so good because you know what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His arms were open wide, while ours were closed up in fists, opposed to God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. So we follow a God who wants to deal severely with the fruit of darkness because he hates death and destruction. But he has made the way to come and be in life. And we need to expose that as God's people who are light. Not let the devil get a foothold, but to wake up. Well, what are we supposed to wake up from? Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything that's illuminated becomes a light. That's a kind of transformative, strange way of saying, when you shine light on darkness, it's not dark anymore, is it? We need to shine the light in a restorative way, not a punitive way, in order that what? Paul quotes an old song from the first century. This is where I keep getting that wake up. This is his wake up call. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This is for the person who's being hired. And it's a job description that says Jesus has come that you may have life and have it to the full. And it's also for those who've already been hired, and it's time for our annual performance review. Because Paul knows, and I know, that we can live life asleep. We can live life unintentionally. And we need to be reminded that Christ has raised us into new life. Which is why we get into that second point. We wake up so that we can live intentionally. Not half asleep, but fully awake to who we are in Christ. This is our job, this is our vocation. And so the second half of our time tonight is going to be living intentionally. These sound like more do's, and then they sound like three more do's that say, here's why. But these are again, wake up, remember you're in Christ, your old life is gone. And for some of you who've grown up in the church who can't remember a life before Christ, that's fine because you're still lulled into sleep by the world around us. We're lulled into sleep by the phones that are in our dadgum pockets. We're lulled into sleep in the culture that is constantly telling us to strive and work and do more and be more. But wake up, you're beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. We're in Christ. God the Father said that of Christ before Christ went out and did anything in his ministry. Before you even wake up, God loves you. Wake up and live full lives. Live intentionally. And here's how Paul says it in our second section. Be careful then how you live be careful be mindful be intentional light is shining but still watch your steps don't sleepwalk this is his first of three exhortations be careful then how you live how you walk that started this whole section of the expectations for our job walk in a manner that's worthy of all God is and all God's called you to be you know I'm a huge zombie fan is that okay for a pastor to be a huge zombie movie fan Tough, I'm your pastor, and you've already appreciated me tonight. George Romero. <clears throat> George Romero? Yes, sir. George Romero, his zombie thing was about radioactivity, right? It was in the first Night of the Living Dead, which was really the first zombie movie. They said, hey, this is, you know, you hear on the radio, there's some radioactivity that caused these walking dead, yes? Also, walking dead is awesome, Um <laughs> Forgive me, maybe I should. You know, I'm not partnering with these things, I'm trying to expose light into these zombie things. Well, that was George Romero. One of the things that is a reason for zombies being in Shaun of the Dead is that people have simply been lulled into sleep. It's this sequence that doesn't quite show you, but it just gives you a hint that our world is destined for zombiedom because we continually wake up, brush teeth, put on shirt, we walk out the door, we go down this same way, we get into our car, we listen to the same radio station, we drive into here, and it's as if Paul breaks into this, whether it's Shaun of the Dead, the churches around Ephes- uh, Ephesus, or Our church today and says, Wake up. Don't live on autopilot. Be careful how you live as light. Wake up. Christ will shine on you and live wisely. That's what he says. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Now, what is wisdom? How many of you remember a beautiful prayer at the beginning of this? book in Ephesians 1 verses 7 verse 17 it's not here on the screen but I think we should uh, remind ourselves of this because Paul prays that we may have wisdom I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation what does it say so that you may know Him better. What is wisdom? It is not more knowledge about stuff. Wisdom is knowing, not knowledge. Wisdom is knowing. What is it knowing? That you may know God better. When you know God better, you know how God moves and acts. When you know Jesus... Who looks at sinners in the face. Who looks at the hungry and feeds them. Who looks at the sick and heals them. You might say, I know this Jesus. And it may lead you then to live like Jesus. And when you encounter sinners and hungry and sick, perhaps you won't act like a stupid jerk. A foolish person who wants to go on and make more darkness. When you know God, you can pray His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and perhaps you can even help be an answer to that prayer and bring more heaven to earth. Because a wise person knows who God is and how God works. This is our job description. We are in Christ. Do we know Him, or do we know a bunch of stuff about Him? Too many churches, and I'm afraid I've been a part of them, and perhaps, God help me, forgive me, I've even helped this along. I see we're stalking Jesus, because we preach verses, and and we go verse by verse, and word by word, and we learn a bunch of stuff about God, but we're really just stalking him. Americans, we're all addicted to Bible studies. We're all addicted to books and tweets and Facebook posts. And we're all addicted to more information. And we're just sitting there stalking Jesus. And we're making these grand claims on Facebook and Twitter to all these other people. And we're saying, no, no, no. You say Jesus is like this. No, I say He's like this. And what happens is we pop off, but we don't sit down and actually try... I don't know, to be formed into his image before we go out and speak on his behalf. A wise person takes Paul's prayer and prays it also. He takes James's prayer and asks for wisdom. A wise person says, I need to know who you are before I go and act on your behalf. This is what Proverbs is about. And you may look at Proverbs and think, there's a lot, there's 31 chapters of a lot of do's and don'ts and little truisms and biblical principles. But no, it starts right there at the first chapter. It says, look, you know God, you seek wisdom, she'll be found. God will be found. He will be revealed to you. And then this will help fill in the rest of the job description. But you've got to stay awake. You've got to know him and you've got to make the most of every opportunity you've got to buy time you've got to be intentional you've got to do this you can't be half asleep in your life at work you can't be asleep in your life in Christ and again before you say I need to go do more I'm going to tell you why don't you be more with him and the doing will happen And he says, you need to buy back, buy up all the time, make the most of every opportunity. Or maybe your Bibles could have a note that says, like, redeem the time. Why? He says this strange phrase, because the days are evil. Now, are days evil? What is evil about Monday? Other than the stupid cartoons, you know, oh, I hate Mondays. What's evil about Monday? Nothing is evil about Monday. Nothing is evil about almost anything in this world until you make use of it in a way that is evil. The days are evil. The days are not evil. What Paul is after, probably, is if you don't use your time intentionally for God and light and life in Him, man, these days will be piddled away and they'll just go the way of the evil age, down toward more death, destruction, and violence in life. The world will continue going on their way, its way. But you can bring light and love. Wake up. Live intentionally. Don't sleepwalk through this. The days can be used for good for God. And a wise person knows this. So he says, don't be foolish. This is that second thing. The first one is be wise. And then the second one is don't be foolish. Well, what's foolishness? Well, it's probably not understanding what the Lord's will is. Foolishness is going out and acting in such a way before you know who God is. Don't be foolish, but know what the Lord's will is. This is another reminder we got last week. Be renewed. Test and see what God wants. Know who He is. Know what the Lord's will is. Sometimes He makes it easy for us like He does in Micah 6.8. And He's talking to a bunch of people who can be hard-headed and foolish like us. And He says, hey, you know, oh man, what God's will is. And I'm going to butcher it now because I'm not looking at it. But he says something like, you love justice, you act mercifully, and you walk humbly. Sometimes it's not something, the will to be found, like you can miss it. Sometimes it's just living in the power of God filling you in such a way that you've already been hired. you just got to walk in that job. So one of those impairments to walking in that job, he finds in verse 18, and it sounds like a very strange kind of rabbit trail that Paul takes. And how many of you have heard this in a youth group? How many of you grew up Baptist and at every function you're hearing this and you're especially hearing this when you're with your Baptist friends who are having a beer? And they will be quick to remind you, you know, I'm just drinking a beer, man. The Bible says just don't be drunk with too much wine. And he doesn't mean he's okay because he's drinking beer and not wine. (laughs) What he means is drunkenness is at issue here. So he says do not get drunk on wine. Okay. The reality is this. If we're told to live intentionally, What knocks us so far out, but when we're controlled by controlled substances? Paul didn't even have whiskey in his day, but they had naturally fermented alcoholic drinks, and it was already starting to be talked about by poets and philosophers like Philo, people saying, hey, you know what a fool does? Spends all of his money and all of his time wasted. And so this is just one of these truisms. Do not get drunk on wine. What happens when you're drunk? Well, he says, which leads to debauchery, which is basically foolishness. So now we see if we're supposed to be wise, if we're not supposed to be foolish, but follow God's will. Here's a trick. Don't get knocked off the path because you're drunk. And when you're drunk, it leads to all sorts of other wild and crazy, foolish things. This is just truth, but he even takes it a step further, not because he's after your do's and don'ts in youth group, but he says, you know what the better alternative is for those who are in Christ? Watch, be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled and propelled and controlled by a controlled substance. Be filled by the spirit, because where there is the spirit, where there's fullness there, there's life. He talks about fullness and filling so many times. We don't have so much time for it, but he does say in uh, in chapter one, verse. Let's look at twenty three. God placed everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in any way. You're full of Christ, Ephesians three nineteen. <clears throat> He says, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. He says, hey, be filled to the brim of all the fullness of God. Don't get drunk. Get drunk on Christ, right? Don't get high, man. Get high on Jesus. This is, we laugh about this, but it's so basic. Because you know what wrecks families? People who are filled with all the kinds of wrong things. You know what wrecks relationships? You know what wrecks your life? You know what saves your life and fills life and breathes life into others? It's being filled with the Spirit because His fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When you're filled with the Spirit, The self-control you didn't have apart from Him, you have in Him, provided you're being filled, being with. It's not more to do, it's more to wake up and live in the power that's yours already. Be filled with the Spirit. This is how one speaks to one another. Look at verse 19. When you're filled with the Spirit and you're doing this in community, you're not carousing and brawling and being all these kinds of insane things you're speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit he says sing and make music from your heart with all your being to the lord always giving thanks to god the father for everything in the name of our lord jesus christ being filled with the spirit leads to at least these two expressions in community worship and gratitude This is very practical stuff. This is job description stuff. Are you being propelled into worship? You know what's cool about this? Worship is two directional. Did he say singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God the Father on high? Who are we supposed to say these things to? Each other. You know what Paul just did in verse 14? He said a spiritual song to one another. That song, wake up, O you sleeper which is on a coffee mug that some church gave me, was one of the earliest hymns we have. And we don't know much about Christian worship, but we knew that they used music extensively. And here's why, I wonder. Because music connects with us in a holistic kind of way. And music forms us Art forms us, and it forms us in ways that information transfer can't seem to, because it connects with us, our hearts, our minds, our emotions. Worship forms us. Art forms us. Art causes us to respond and react, and when we are going around speaking to one another in this way, we're giving voice to something that's primal and beautiful and holistic I wrote an article years ago when I was in seminary, and it was um, in a magazine. You can still look up if you want to laugh uh, somewhere. But it's called Rethinking the Words of Worship. Because I had caught early on in my ministry, primarily as a worship leader, how formative the words we sing, say, and pray are, especially to our young people. And David, you were there. One time David and I were playing at a service, and this really kind of set it off and solidified it in my head, when this person prayed, God, we cannot believe how sovereign and powerful you are. You are so sovereign and in control that you would even make us sin so that you would be glorified when you forgive and redeem us. And I look around the room, shell-shocked, and people, yes, yes, Lord, yes, and I realize how formational these things we sing are. Many of you who are a little bit older have lived through the worship wars. Can we have drums and rock music? Can we have these kind of songs that just keep repeating itself? Or can we have these hymns that seem so antiquated and outdated? Well, Paul just says, you know what? It's formational? These kinds of holistic ways. And just so I'm clear, he's maybe using these interchangeably, but Psalms are the Hebrew scripture for the Jewish people in the congregation. And hymns, there have been hymns in the Greco-Roman world long before Jesus called a community to be his body. And they were singing songs to Artemis in Ephesus. You'd walk into a dining room and there'd be scrawl songs engraved in beautiful ornate places on the walls that sing and hymn the praises of Artemis. And so for your Greco-Roman people, you can you can have those hymns. And you can have the spiritual songs that are being formed in the community to form the community. What we sing, say, and pray is so formational. What you sing with and to your kids, how you pray to your kids, and in The presence of your kids is being absorbed. What we sing in this church is forming us and we can be deformed in the words I say or not say. So we always approach this with grace. Lord, help me. Forgive me that I said stupid like three times. But whatever is yours, Lord, may it be for formation Worship can bring our whole selves to God, which is why he says sing and make music from your heart, your being to the Lord. A lot of times this is hard. There was a song that was playing just before we came in that said, I need a reason to sing. Some days I need a reason to sing. And some days it's hard to sing and make music from your heart to the Lord at 5 p.m. on Saturdays when this is the first time you've offered your heart to the Lord all week. And then you say, well, man, how can I offer my heart to the Lord? He hadn't offered me anything. He hadn't answered prayers. He hasn't, he hasn't been near to me. He hasn't been present to me. I need a reason to sing. Well, Paul reminds us again this attitude, this way of cultivating gratitude. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you try to seek Him and see Him, even if He's distant or it appears distant, Would you cultivate and always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's because we're in Christ that we have every good and perfect gift that comes from the Father of lights, is what James says in chapter 1. Would you cultivate an attitude of of thanksgiving, of, of gratitude? And would you always give thanks... And if you're in that place where you're sure that God doesn't always answer our prayers, is it because we're missing all the opportunities to see how he's given us the little things like our daily bread and life and breath? Could we start there? And understand that you are here tonight because of a myriad reasons that were beyond your control in your car and in your body to just be here and present. Lord, thank you that we are here living and breathing because you are sustaining all things by your power in Christ. We can start there. And that's reason enough to sing. And so we're singing with our whole being. We're speaking to one another. And we're living intentionally together because we're a people who need to be fully awake. We're a people who need to be awake to all God is, all He does, and we can then live as people from a full heart that's full of God's Spirit and full of gratitude. And we can do this because we've been risen from the dead. We were once in the kingdom of darkness and God in His grace has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son of light. So your mom who said earlier, you are who you hang with. I say be a friend to sinners. Love them, shine light into their lives. Pray for them that light would break in into their deepest, darkest corners. Pray that they would wake up. Your mom also told you to quit listening to that racket, <laughs> right? Find what wakes you up. What is it that is out there that gives life? What is it? It doesn't have to be the Christian radio station. God is revealed in so many powerful and beautiful and even subtle ways. What wakes you up? Don't be a zombie. Find what wakes you up. Paul quoted this song, What is it for you? Chase it. Your mom also told you to always say thank you. Paul reminds us in our job description, Be people of gratitude, not negativity. Show them that light has shined in the darkest places, and light will be all in all, and the darkness will not overcome it. So may we be people of light, fully awake to God and others, May we live well, live intentional lives in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for life and breath and daily bread. Thank you for this community of people that reminds us we're not alone. We pray that you would remind us that you have not left us alone. I pray for the people here who are wondering if you're out there, who are wondering if you do any of these things that Adam is talking about. I pray that light would shine and reveal so much or so little just to get them to a place where they can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Lord, I pray that we would be people of light, welcoming in the darkness that the light may transform. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus, the life, light, and king of the world. Amen. Amen. So now we're invited to sing and pray these songs that are our songs that form us and shape our imagination. We also take as a form of worship the body and the blood that was broken for the world when we were sinners, that we may be made whole. And even consider that you're taking in the body and the juice. You're taking in Christ that you may go out from this place and take him to the world that needs his light. If you're his, you're forgiven. If you're his, you're his. If you're his, you're light. So come.
2: May you wake up that hangs over our cities like a heavy cloak weighing down our neighbors with the way it is may expose the sham of darkness with the way the truth and the life pointing to the light that shines in the darkest corners of our homes and hearts that we may all see clearly again may you wake up from sleep from darkness and from night so that you can go out and live full lives lives filled to the brim with all that god is and that all that you are in christ may you go out singing freedom songs that rise up from the hearts lightened by the hope of the way it will be awake until one day you close your eyes for the last time only to hear a gentle and faintly familiar voice say come And that day You'll know the one who shined in your darkest night really is making all things new. Go in peace.